Luke chapter 2 from verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in Jesus to do for him, which was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, the light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Ben, if I haven't met you before, and uh, I'm going to get the chance to, to preach this morning here. Um, yeah, my, my wife, Preeti, and I, we've been, uh, we've been involved here at Philpot uh, since, the, since this past summer, and um, yeah, right now I'm actually involved here as the student intern, and I've been able to do a few different things here with the church, and uh, yeah, today... Obviously, just a few days before Christmas, and such a special time of the year, and I really do feel so honored uh, to be able to get this opportunity uh, to do this this morning. Just give me one sec. All right, so this morning we are continuing our series, So This Is Christmas. And my sermon title uh, this morning is Christmas Wonder. Christmas wonder. You know, there really is this sense of wonder around the Christmas season now, isn't there? I mean, if we've gone out to, you know, the shopping mall or really anywhere, we hear these songs everywhere uh, that just celebrate this whole Christmas season. You know, I know for a lot of us, we've probably been decorating our homes these past few weeks and just... I think part of that is just trying to kind of get ourselves into that Christmas spirit, trying to experience that Christmas wonder, we might say. There really is this sense of wonder that pervades this whole season. But, you know, I think that that experience of Christmas wonder, I think that it's something that is especially experienced by children. You know, I could look back on my childhood and, I mean, in my earliest years, I don't know if, about if, if you guys would, would be in the same boat, but I certainly believed in Santa Claus. And, I mean, Christmas was going to come. This was a time where there was this sense of anticipation and excitement because those stockings, I mean, I was going to wake up on Christmas, on Christmas morning and, and they were going to be filled up with stuff. I was going to have this incredible experience of wonder 
You know, I, I, I also, it's interesting, I, I look back on myself, and, and I was also a bit of a skeptical kid, I think, and, and I always thought about, you know, okay, how did Santa actually get to, like, every single house in the whole entire world in, like, seven hours? Like, how is that even possible? Did he, have, like, have access to the, like, the world clock or something like that, where he could just hit pause and then do his thing? I didn't know, but this was all part of that Christmas wonder experience. For me. But I think for a lot of us, that experience of Christmas wonder, maybe we lose it at some point in our lives. You know, in our culture today, of course, Christmas has become commodified and commercialized. It's become a time that's often defined by buying more and more stuff, sometimes out of a sense of pressure or obligation. Maybe we live with the sense that we have to have this perfect Christmas and that we have to make everybody happy. And in the middle of that, Christmas might actually become a time that's defined by stress. Christmas might not have that same kind of wonder experience in the middle of all that. But now, of course, for us as Christians... I mean, we know that Christmas is about more than just the gifts, right? I mean, we know, obviously, for for many of us, it's a special time with family, but we know that Christmas is actually about more than even just that as well. Jesus is the reason for the season, we might say. At Christmas, we get to celebrate Jesus coming into our world. See, the true Christmas wonder is found in Jesus. The true wonder of Christmas is knowing and experiencing the God of the universe who stepped into our human earthly existence 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the true Christmas wonder. Today, as we continue our series and as we look at Luke chapter 2, my hope is that we might recover some of that sense of wonder at this child Jesus in a fresh way. My hope is that we might see a little bit more clearly what the true Christmas wonder is really all about. So I invite you now to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you have Bibles in front of you there or on your phones or however you uh, want to do that. And uh, I know we we heard part of this text uh, read already earlier, but I'm going to read the text in its entirety uh, right now that I'm going to be preaching from this morning. And... Uh, as, as I read the text, I would just invite you to just open your ears and, and open your eyes to, to, to see how the, this sense of wonder just kind of pervades over this whole passage. So, yeah, this morning we're going to be starting in verse 22, and I'm just going to say a quick prayer here before we read this passage. Lord God, we thank you so much for Christmas. We thank you that we get to celebrate your coming into our world. And we thank you now, Lord, for this text that we're going to be looking at today. And we ask that you would speak to us through it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So from verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, 
every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. It's the word of the Lord. Now, there are several characters involved here in this passage. Of course, there's Mary and Joseph, there's Simeon, there's Anna, and then, of course, there's the child, Jesus. But really, the whole focus of this passage is on Jesus. He's the star of the show here, we might say. As one commentator writes, throughout the passage, the narrative spotlight remains on Jesus. The child does nothing, but all words and deeds are oriented around him. And we actually see this emphasis that the passage places on Jesus right from the first verses, which set the context for what's about to take place at the temple. In verse 22 of this text, we see that Jesus' parents, or we might say his mother and his stepfather, Mary and Joseph, they make a trip from Bethlehem, where Jesus had been born, up here to Jerusalem. Now, why do they make this trip? Well, verse 22 tells us that they came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. Now, who are these purification rites for? Well, they're not for Jesus, actually. See, back in Leviticus 12, we read that under the law of Moses, 
A woman was considered impure for 40 days after a male child is born. And at that point, she is then to, to offer a sacrifice for her purification. So this was just all part of what the, the Jewish people did. And, and, and Mary and Joseph here, as observant Jewish people, they, they've come to, to Jerusalem here. They've come to the temple to make the necessary sacrifices for, Mar- for Mary's ritual cleansing, that she would be made ceremonially clean once again. And the sacrifice that they offer, it's specified in verse 24 of our text, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. However, if going to the temple was just for Mary's purification rites, they could have left Jesus at home. Jesus wouldn't have actually really needed to come there with them, would have he? But there's something else that's going on in this text as well. In verse 22, we also see that Joseph and Mary have made this trip to present him, to present Jesus to the Lord. And this act of presenting Jesus to the Lord, it echoes 1 Samuel chapter 1. You know, some of us us might know that story. It's the story where Hannah prays and prays and prays for for a child to be born. And then this child is born and, and she gives him the name Samuel. And then she gives him up in service to the Lord. I'm not going to get too much into all the details here, but it seems that something similar is going on here in this story. And it's this act of presenting Jesus to the Lord at the temple, which will then overshadow everything else that's about to take place there. Jumping down to verse 25, we're then introduced to this person, Simeon. Now, a few things to note about Simeon. First of all, we're told that Simeon was righteous and devout. He was clearly a a pious individual. We're told that he was waiting for the consolation or the helper or comforter of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for the day when God's promised Messiah, when God's promised rescuer and ruler would come to the help of Israel. We're also told that the Holy Spirit was on him. And that's a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament, referring to the prophets when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And we're also told about Simeon that that the same Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen this promised Messiah. And in verse 27, that same Holy Spirit is the one who leads Simeon into the temple courts on that day. In verse 28, Simeon takes the child Jesus in his arms. He praises God and he has much to say about this child. So let's start just by looking at some of what Simeon has to say about this person Jesus who truly is the true Christmas wonder. The first thing that Simeon explicitly says about the child is in verse 30. So we're just going to skip over verse 29 for now. Here, holding Jesus in his arms, Simeon, an elderly man, probably with fading vision here, he looks at the child and and, and he says to God, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. You know, last week, Tim talked about the significance of, of Jesus' name, that Jesus' very name means salvation, And here in this text, we see that as Simeon looks at this child Jesus, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. 
he shows us that, that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. And let's just pause here just, just for a moment. You know, we, we live in a world and, and in a culture and a society where there are a lot of different religions. There's a lot of different people who have different beliefs about God, maybe different views, different ideas about, uh, you know, the, the, the paths to salvation or which path is the true path to salvation. And, you know, there's often actually a push in our culture to view all religions as essentially equally valid and true. But this text here reminds us that there is something utterly unique and distinct about Jesus. Jesus is not just another teacher who tells us the path to salvation. Rather, to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. To come to Jesus is to experience salvation. As Jesus himself later expresses in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So does this mean that Christianity is exclusive? Well, yes, in a sense. But let's read on to discover a little bit more about what this salvation that Jesus brings is really all about. See, Simeon says to God in in verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. And then he goes on, he says, Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Not just one nation, all nations. And this idea is actually, it goes completely against the grain of what the common Jewish person would have thought at that time. See, the common understanding at that time was that the Messiah, that this promised Messiah, he was going to come for Israel's salvation. He was going to come to the help of Israel. Their idea was that this Messiah was going to come and he would set the Jewish people free from the oppression that they were living under. But Simeon reveals that the salvation that Jesus has come to bring, it goes far beyond just Israel. This salvation has been prepared in the sight of all nations. And this is then further, further clarified in Simeon's next statement about Jesus where he says that Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And this right here, in in verse verse 32 here, this is actually the first time that the idea of the Messiah coming for the Gentiles is is explicitly stated in Luke's gospel. You know, last last week we we, we looked at that story where where we see these angels who come and, and they announce good news, which will cause great joy for all people. And now we discover that that good news that will cause great joy, it really is for all people. Not even just for the Jewish people. This is for the Gentiles too. This is for all nations. This is for everybody. But Jesus' coming, it's certainly not something that's entirely foreign to the Israelite religion either. He's also, as Simeon goes on to state, the glory of your people Israel. Jesus has come to fulfill everything that was written about him in the Hebrew scriptures. But the inclusion of Gentiles here, I mean, that that would, of course, include probably most of us in this room right now. The inclusion of Gentiles was a mind-blowing concept in the Jewish thought of that day. And this will actually lead to profound response even from Jesus' own parents 
So let's look at the next verse. In verse 33, Mary and Joseph, they're brought back into the story here once again. And what happens? The text says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Mary and Joseph marvel at what is said about their child. And this word translated marveled in this verse, it can be translated to be amazed or to wonder. Mary and Joseph have an experience of wonder as they hear all these things said about their child. But isn't this kind of surprising? I mean, for those of us who know the the Christmas story, we know that, I mean, angels appear to Mary and Joseph. And at this point, they'd already gotten the news that, you know, that that their son was the product of of a, a virgin birth, conception from the Holy Spirit. They've already been informed that, that Jesus, that their, their son, he, he's going to be the son of God. That he'll rule, rule over a kingdom that will never end. But even their own expectations of their child Jesus are blown up here. Simeon's words reveal far more about Jesus than even Mary and Joseph had anticipated. Jesus is God's salvation prepared for all nations. Even for the Gentiles, Jesus has come. Mary and Joseph have an experience of wonder because what is said about their child blows up their expectations. They see that Jesus has truly come for the whole entire world. And this leads me to my first point this morning about the true Christmas wonder. The true Christmas wonder has come for everyone. Now, Christmas is something that is certainly celebrated by people all over the world. You know, we had an event here at the church uh, a couple weeks ago where we got to hear about how Christmas is practiced and celebrated in, in different cultures around the world. We got to hear about how Christmas is, is practiced in, in Vietnam, in, in South Korea, in, in Nigeria, as some people from our, our congregation uh, shared different stories. Uh, my wife even got to talk about how, uh, how Christmas was celebrated for her growing up in India. You know, it's interesting to see that this, this holiday Christmas, I mean, it's such a big deal all over the world, even in places where not a, lot of whole, not a whole lot of people necessarily really identify with the Christian faith. Now, as people celebrate Christmas all over the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're celebrating Christ in the middle of that. But perhaps this infiltration of this holiday season into into all kinds of countries and cultures all over the world, perhaps that offers a little bit of a picture of what Jesus wants to do and what Jesus actually is doing in our world today. Jesus wants all nations. Jesus wants all people for himself. People from all nations. 1 Timothy 2.4, it states, God wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. You know, we, we, we heard uh, maybe a month or two ago uh, some testimonies uh, from, from four people in our, in our, in our congregation here uh, who got to share their testimonies in the language of Farsi. We got to read their, their, their testimonies in English up on the screen. And what a beautiful day that was to just see how, how God is at work in the nations, to the ends of the earth, drawing people to himself. In Revelation 7, we get a beautiful picture of what heaven 
will be like there. John gets this vision where he sees, he says, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven will be filled with all sorts of different people because the salvation that Jesus come to, has come to bring is truly for everyone. Going back to what I said earlier, it is true that with Christianity and, and with what we see in Jesus, that salvation is only made available through Jesus. And in that sense, maybe Christianity is exclusive. But it's also been said that Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion that there is. See, everyone is invited to experience the true Christmas wonder. Mary and Joseph have their own experience of wonder at Simeon's words when they hear what he says in this, in this text here. And perhaps as we contemplate what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is doing in our world today, perhaps we might have an experience of wonder as well. Going back to our text now, as, as we read on, we'll discover that Simeon is actually going to reveal a little bit more about Jesus as well. So let's go on to verses 34 to 35 here. So first of all, in verse 34, Simeon goes on to state that Jesus is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. This, once again, this is, this is probably a mind-blowing concept to the people who are hearing this. See, the idea at that time was that the Messiah was going to come to bring the nation together. However, with Jesus and his coming, there's also this division that takes place. And we know as, as we read through the rest of our New Testaments that not everyone accepts Jesus. That Jesus' coming will actually divide the Jewish nation. That's exactly what happens. And we see that as we read the rest of the New Testament. You know, Simeon goes on to state here, he says that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. Again, not everyone is going to accept Jesus. Many will reject him. Many will actually oppose him. And in this sense, as the next verse states, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon says one more thing to Mary in this text, though, that I think is especially important that we look at. He turns to Mary and, and, and he tells Mary in verse 35, he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Not only will, will Jesus coming divide the Jewish nation, even though he has come to bring salvation and redemption, but a sword will pierce Mary's own soul too, he says here. Now what is meant by this? Well, it seems that what Simeon is saying here, it points ahead to what will eventually come of, of Jesus' life. Now, what's a parent's greatest sorrow? It, I, I think it's probably to see their children mistreated, to see their children suffer. And what we will discover is that Jesus, well, he will suffer. He'll suffer rejection from the religious leaders in his day. He'll be plotted against, ultimately, he will end up dying a death, a criminal's death on a cross, dying the most shameful death imaginable. And yes, a sword will pierce Mary's soul in the process. 
However, that being said, this death on the cross, which will then be followed by Jesus' resurrection, this is actually at the very center of God's plan. This is at the very center of God's plan for salvation. By Jesus' death, he will make a way for true salvation. Not the salvation that maybe the Jewish people were looking for in that day, but salvation from the sin and evil that is in all of our hearts. See, Jesus, he's, he's pre- presented at the temple in today's passage, and, and one day he will become the final sacrifice necessary for the sins of all of humanity. He will die for both Jew and Gentile, for everyone, for you and for me, to make a way for all people to be saved and to be brought back into relationship with God. As we sung about this this morning, peace on earth and, and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's what God is doing through the gospel, through his coming into our world in the person of Jesus and ultimately through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Now it seems that Simeon is given all of this revelation by the Holy Spirit into what will eventually come of Jesus' life. And although some aspects of what lies ahead for Jesus don't necessarily look the greatest from a humanly, earthly perspective, Simeon still knows that this child is good news. As a matter of fact, Simeon sees this child as the fulfillment of everything that he was longing for. If we go back a few verses here, we'll go back to to verse 29 now. There we see Simeon's initial response when he first encounters this child, Jesus, when he sees this this child and he he has this child in his arms. Simeon says in, in verse 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. As Simeon looks at the child, Jesus, And as he is given revelation by the Holy Spirit into who this child is and everything that will come of his life, Simeon knows that he's seeing the most wonderful thing he could ever imagine. Simeon expresses that he can now die in peace. Simeon had waited and waited for the promised Messiah. And as he encounters Jesus, he finds that the deepest longings of his heart are fulfilled And so it is with us as well. And this brings me to my second point here this morning. The true Christmas wonder, it fulfills our heart's deepest longings. The true Christmas wonder, Jesus himself, he fulfills our heart's deepest longings. There's a famous quote from the well-known Christian theologian, St. Augustine. You know, Augustine, he, he had lived this life of trying to find the sense of fulfillment in, in all these different places. He, he looked for it in, in philosophy and in education and in, in sexual relationships and, and ultimately had this sense where he was unfulfilled. And later in his life, he, he writes this work called Confessions, where he writes out these, this, this series of prayers to God. And in this, he, he, he writes this famous quote, which I'll read now. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 
What Augustine writes here, I think that it captures a common human experience. This is something that all of humanity, every human being, I think, deals with. We all have this, this, lo- we all have this longing for a sense of fulfillment. And, and so often, nothing else can, can, can quite meet that until we truly encounter the one who's made us for himself, the Lord himself. You know, in my own experience, um, so I grew up, and, uh, and sports was a major part of my upbringing. I've played sports ever since I was a, ever since I was a little kid. And uh, when I was a teenager, actually, I got crazy into the game of golf, actually. And, and through my teenage years, uh, me and, and usually my dad, we would travel all, all over British Columbia and even all over Canada to some extent, and, and I would compete in these golf tournaments. And at one point, I did compete at a, at a fairly high level, and, and I have many great memories of, of, of doing all of that. But you know, in the middle of that, I had looked to this sport to give me that sense of fulfillment, to give me that sense of purpose, that sense of identity, and ultimately, I found that it, it let me down. You know, it felt great when I would win a tournament, but then what next? What happens after that? That, that feeling of fulfillment, it didn't really last all that long. And it was when I was 17 years old when I encountered Jesus in a personal way. That's when I truly met a person who, who loved me simply as I am. A person who... I knew loved me to, to the point of death, a person who could give me a, a lasting joy that I couldn't find anywhere else in this world. My heart was restless until it found rest in the Lord. Now, for all of us this week, of course, it's Christmas week this week, right? Now, if, if we try to find a sense of fulfillment in having the perfect Christmas that maybe some of us might envision in our minds, we might end up disappointed. I read a blog post earlier this week where this, this blogger, she, she writes about the various emotional stages that people go through in Christmas. You know, there's like the, the, the anticipation stage, all, all these other stages. And, and the last stage that she notes on, on Boxing Day morning, December 26th morning, is depression, she says. Now, I hope that we don't wake up Boxing Day morning feeling extremely depressed. I hope that that's not our experience. But as I read that article, I, I got to thinking about how sometimes the, the Christmas hype, it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't live up to all the hype that maybe it's sometimes made out to be in our culture. Only the true Christmas wonder, Jesus himself, can satisfy our heart's deepest longings. Simeon experiences that in this text today. I know I experienced that in my life and continue to to need to keep coming back to Jesus to experience that again and again. And I would just say, may we make space this week to encounter this one, Jesus himself, who truly does fulfill all of our deepest longings as well. Now going back to our text once more here, we encounter one more figure, one more important figure in this story that we haven't looked at yet. And she also has her own Christmas wonder kind of experience. So looking at verse 36, going from there, verse 36, we're introduced to this prophet, Anna. 
Like Simeon, Anna, she's very elderly as well. The text tells us that she was married for seven years and had lived her entire life after that as a widow. Clearly not the best experience, especially in that culture. You know, my translation here says that she's 84 years old here. There's actually a bit of ambiguity in the text, though. It could be saying that, that she had been married for seven years and then lived as a widow for 84 years, which would put her at like over 100 years old. But either way, Anna is obviously a very elderly woman who had lived as a widow for a very long time. But Anna, she didn't resent God because of her situation. On the, on, the, on the other hand, Anna devoted her whole self over to the Lord. And we discover in the text here that, that she spent all her time at the temple worshiping, fasting, and praying. I think perhaps she too, like Simeon, was, was maybe waiting for something greater. And, and in verse 38, we see that as Simeon is, is prophesying about this child, Anna comes up to them And she has her own encounter with the child Jesus as well. Now, we don't actually get any recorded words in this text from Anna. But we do, we are told how she responds to Jesus. First of all, the text tells us that she gave thanks to God. Anna's encounter with Jesus caused her to give thanks to God, to to have this experience probably somewhat like Simeon and, and Mary and Joseph, somewhat of a, an experience of wonder that just caused her to, to fix her gaze back to God, to give thanks for this child. Now, it's worth noting that, that in this text here, in the, in, in the story, uh, Luke presents Simeon and Anna as, as parallel figures. And, and there are elements where Simeon and, and Anna, they, they have a similar kind of encounter with Jesus in this passage. But Anna's response to Jesus is certainly not identical to Simeon's either. For one thing, I mean, do we see Anna here saying that she's now ready to die? Of course, Simeon had said, you know, Lord, you may now take me away. Anna, does she say that? Well, not so much, actually. You know, the the biblical scholar Ben Witherington III, he argues that in this text, Luke is actually presenting Anna as the superior model of discipleship. What's her response? Let's continue in verse 38. She gave thanks to God, and then she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She spoke about the child. Anna wasn't ready to die. Anna was ready to evangelize after she encounters Jesus. Like Simeon, perhaps the deepest longings of Anna's heart were fulfilled here as well. And her experience of wonder, though, it it leads her to now tell other people about this child. And this leads me to my third and final point here this morning. The true Christmas wonder is truly worth sharing. The true Christmas wonder is truly worth sharing. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip to Mexico uh, with, with my church at the time. We, we went down with a team of about 30 people. We were in Tijuana, and we were, we were building houses for, for, for people there. 
And, and while we were there, we stayed at this mission mobilizing organization. We, we stayed at their, at their center there where we got to learn all about missions. We got to learn about unreached people groups and about what God is doing all over the world. And this organization, they, they had these t-shirts that they were selling to, to, to everyone who, who was there, um, you know, whether, whether they're part of a mission team or, or something like that. And on the back of these t-shirts was this saying that has always just kind of stuck in the back of my mind as I've thought about evangelism ever since then. The saying, which was actually written in another language, it said something like this. It said, the most cruel thing is to find water in the desert and to tell no one. It's a saying that certainly convicts me. I mean, how often I shy away from sharing the gospel with someone, even though I know that the gospel is the greatest news in the world, even though I know that it's the only hope that people have for salvation, even though I know that God has put me in people's lives so that I might share his love. It can be hard to do sometimes, though, can't it? I think that one of the reasons why sometimes we have a hard time sharing our faith is because we're afraid of how people might respond to it. And in our culture, we often might think that, you know, people are just going to be resistant. And that might cause us to just hesitate when it comes to sharing our faith. I mean, we don't, we don't want people to respond in a way that's going to create a sense of awkwardness in our relationship with them. But Jesus, he is the water in the desert that people desperately need. You know, last week, Tim, in his message, he, he challenged us all to invite someone over to spend Christmas with our family this Christmas. And maybe some of you have done that. Um, perhaps not all of us have done that. Um, we, we got to have some, uh, some international students actually over yesterday evening and just had a wonderful time celebrating Christmas with them. Um, but wh- whether you've invited someone over to your place for, for Christmas Day, uh, perhaps someone who's never heard the Christmas story before or, or, or not, my encouragement to us all would be to, to be open to any opportunity that God might give us in this season to share about what Christmas is really all about to share about who Jesus really is and what he has come to do. And you know, Tim also last week, he talked about how if there's any time of the year where people are a little bit more open to the gospel, it's right now, actually. So what an amazing opportunity that we have. Maybe the the realization that people just might be a little bit more open, maybe that in itself might encourage us to be a little bit more intentional. But if we look at Anna's response to Jesus, just make one more note here. You know, there's one other thing that's, that's going on here that, that's important in terms of how we think about our, our sharing of the gospel to others. And that's Anna's own experience with this child Jesus. Anna's own experience with Jesus is the thing that motivates her to share Anna's experience of of seeing and encountering the child Jesus, that's what comes first. And her speaking about the the child is then what follows. I'll invite the worship team to come on back up here now. And I'm just going to invite us to just to consider a couple things as we move toward closing here.
I invite us to just ask ourselves, are we experiencing Jesus as the true Christmas wonder in this season? Do we have this sense of wonder as, as we reflect on Jesus coming? Do we have this sense of awe and amazement as, as we hear these stories about, about Christ, as we pray to Jesus, as we spend time with him, as we approach Christmas in just a few days. In Jesus' salvation, in Jesus' salvation has truly come. God himself has entered our world in order to bring us back to him again. If that doesn't move us to wonder, maybe we should pray that it would. I'm just going to finish by reading this quote that I found this week. This writer, she states, maybe the conflict in Christmas, maybe it isn't whether we can get everything done, but whether we can sustain the magic, the wow-inducing marvel a lowly baby in Bethlehem created. She says, my experience tells me it isn't easy to do. My heart tells me we ought to fight hard to do it. Maybe we need to fight hard to keep our eyes, our ears, and our hearts open to Jesus this week. Maybe we need to fight hard to sustain that sense of wonder at Jesus, who is the true Christmas wonder. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Christmas. We thank you so much, God, that you came into this world. You incarnated yourself in the person of Jesus. That your coming into this world truly is good news for all people. And we pray, Jesus, that you would meet us in a fresh way this week. That you would help us to sustain that sense of wonder at what Christmas is all about. Amen. Amen to that. Thanks, Ben, for sharing with us this morning. You did a great job. I want to pray for you, and uh, we'll dismiss. And again, Merry Christmas uh, to you all. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. And uh, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And may our hearts truly be captivated, Lord, by the good news of your coming. And Lord, we thank you today. And Lord, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. God bless.